It's all well and good to learn how Facebook and Google or the best-funded Bay Area startup are leveraging artificial intelligence, but what about for businesses or entire industries that are often resistant to the cutting-edge technology, that are very much not early adopters? How are they adjusting and changing the way that they're doing business to stay competitive with data science and AI, particularly in areas where they really have to, sooner or later, to even stay in business? Um, In this episode of the AI and Industry Podcast, we aim to answer that question. What does modernization look like in traditionally stodgy businesses or industries? We're lucky enough to have Sangeeta Chakraborty, who's the Chief Customer Officer at Ayazdi, with us in this episode. Ayazdi has raised north of $100 million. They're very much an outlier in terms of fundraising the AI space. North of $100 million to uh, help large organizations build intelligent applications to help them with their businesses. They've done a tremendous amount of work in finance, as well as in healthcare and a whole bunch of other sectors as well. Uh, Sangeeta in this episode talks about us, uh, talks to us about the applications of data science and AI in healthcare and what hospitals and healthcare centers are doing who are adopting data science to basically bring that kind of technology into a world, into a space that number one is not traditionally an early adopter of those technologies at all. And number two, might have some resistance. Doctors who don't want their jobs replaced, who are afraid that this poses a threat to their careers. Um, How do we deal with those factors of resistance and still make a company more modern, more competitive uh, for the inevitable age of intelligence and AI that is ahead of us? Uh, So these are very much transferable lessons outside of healthcare. We just happen to be focused there. Otherwise, a very exciting interview. We actually did this one live at the Bootstrap Labs event here in San Francisco. They've They've been kind enough over the, the last couple of years to connect us to a whole bunch of great folks, and we're, we're lucky to have Sangeeta on the program. So without further ado, this is Sangeeta with Ayazdi. So Sangeeta, we had chatted a little bit off mic about kind of the core issues in healthcare where machine learning can make a difference. You mentioned kind of patient care, dealing with diagnosis and determining treatment paths as sort of a big opportunity area. You mentioned that healthcare is moving towards quality. Talk about that broad dynamic because it does seem like one of the biggest opportunities in the healthcare space at large. Yeah. So first of all, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. It is um, what we're observing and anybody in the world of healthcare will agree there is a convergence happening and the divide that used to be there with the payers on one side and the providers on one side, that has converged into what we would want to see, and that is a focus on quality from both sides. They are getting incentivized to deliver high-quality results. That means lower readmissions, faster recoveries, and preventing people from getting sick in the first place. So we allow, as a platform, ISD allows hospitals to build applications that are intelligent applications. And one of the applications that are provided by IASD, purpose-built, is around the areas of care variation management. And the problem that we are addressing is that when a patient walks into a hospital for any designated surgery, they could be treated in any number of ways depending on the, the learning that the physician has had, the current journal that they have read and whatever their, their ecosystem has told them. It may not be the best outcome for the patient. So, but now with the advent of so much data and the, the prevalence of electronic medical record systems like Epic and Cerna and others, we have the data and the machine learning capabilities to actually understand what is the ideal or close to ideal treatment of a patient. 
And so what we do is we expose that. It is the physician's decision at the end of the day. We are not dictating to the patient, but we expose the finding and say this group of patients had this ideal outcome. And you might say, my ideal outcome is how quickly did they recover? Another hospital might say, well, what did it cost me? Focus on the least cost. It depends on you. We can predict on whichever outcome we want to look at. And then we give you the characteristics that define that group and say, these are the things that were done to this set of patients. We expose that out as a consensus care path. And then that gets generated or manifested in the EMR in the form of order sets. The physician can choose to consume it or not. And when you say care path, just to clarify the term, it sounds like a care path is what are the steps to get this person better? What are the the steps to improve their sort of health from the hospital standpoint? What are we uh, giving them for medication? What are we giving them for treatment? Are we saying physical therapy? That's what a care path is? Exactly. It's a good question. A care path is literally a time sequence of events. Got it. So they get admitted, get this medicine, go to bed, get the surgery, (laughs) recover, get to walk. All of the series of events is a care path. Makes a lot of sense that you know, we've, so much information has been collected and now, of course, is being collected. You mentioned uh, electronic medical records and their prevalence compared to, you know, however many decades past when that wasn't the case. If that information is here, shucks, we should use that. This physician may not have seen, you know, a knee injury of this exact kind 400 times, but, you know, maybe there are access in various medical records somewhere, thousands of examples of this exact kind of knee injury that we could really use to make a more informed decision than just this one smart doctor. This is the kind of basic premise is that enough patterns have emerged where we can come up with what should be a viable option and shucks doctors should think about some of that consensus information uh, as part of their decision-making process. The premise? To an extent. Okay. So it's not about different types of knee surgeries. Literally the same thing could be treated differently depending on the, the knowledge that the physician has and what they are prone to doing in, in the treatment. And our premise is, why don't we have the data expose what seems to be giving the best outcome to the patients and then look at variations and say, well, maybe this is a good thing. So an example is Mercy Hospital discovered that there was this little group of people that were treating knee surgery patients and those people were recovering faster. And so they looked at that and said, what is this drug that shows up? And it's pregabalin that people were not generally prone to prescribing. And it turned out it was a good variation that those, those physicians had discovered. Now they're able to go to the rest of Mercy and say, let's use this pregabalin, seems to help. So it's variation management in terms of, is there a good variation or maybe not so good variation? That's up to the hospital and physician to, discover, to decide what to do. Yeah, got it. But it, it does make sense, obviously, if you make such a discovery, if such a pattern is evident and clear, man, more people should be able to have access to that. So you had mentioned some hospitals are going to collect a lot of this information themselves. Some can get free information from folks who've made it available publicly and and are just sharing it. There's obviously going to be people licensing this kind of information. There's going to be a lot of businesses probably in that space of licensing healthcare cases and oncology and other, other domains like that. And there's obviously a business opportunity in this space of distilling, making sense of this information, presenting it to physicians. That's the business opportunity you guys are in, one of many in healthcare that you guys are in now. You know, I've heard a lot talking to investors who are investing in sort of AI and healthcare, talking to people who are selling this stuff to hospitals. Um, We just did a huge consensus of 50-something companies, 30-something of which sell directly to, to hospitals, of what are the challenges, you know, getting AI sort of adopted. When you're an innovator, when you're working with, you know, machine vision with MRIs, when you're working with predictive analytics, even for just booking and appointments and like financial management stuff for healthcare. How do you get them to adopt? Doctors are afraid to lose their jobs. They don't want to do that. 
the people who you are seeing take up this technology. You know, you might only have the examples from Yazdi, but you know, the people who are adopting Yazdi and saying we're going to use this in our hospital, clearly, at least today, they are a little bit on the cutting edge. What are the commonalities of that crowd? What makes them ready to step ahead of what the rest of the herd is up to? Okay. So first of all, the industry is going to have them go in that direction because they're focusing on quality. And there is no other you know, data-driven, mathematically sound way than to actually see what is the data telling me in terms of the care yep. path, right? So, so it's, it's an industry, inevitable transition. It is course. inevitable. Yep. But you're right. Some of them are ahead of the curve. And yep. they yep. seem to be, A, they have... EMRs in place where they can get the data, and this is data in terms of all the clinical and operational things that have happened to a patient, right? And uh, they have a system where they can set it up, maybe Hadoop, and they're willing to look at this and go talk to their physicians and say, by no means is it replacing anybody. We are only here to augment the physician. And so this is more data for them to look at, make sure they have confidence because we ensure there's transparency in everything we're providing. And then say, I may choose to use this because this is new learning. Now, back in the day, learning was magazines and conferences, but now here's new learning. Paper journals. Journals. And so now here's a different way of learning. It's one more avenue for them to consume. Um, And so it seems to be the hospitals that are more ready to embrace this new shift in the dynamic, more willing to change that are the ones that are ahead of the curve. But we yeah. see a long line of people that are... I can imagine, yeah. It's probably, there probably are some variants, but in terms of general similarities, one commonality would be, you know, they have to have the budget for real deal data science projects and services and, you know, folks like yourself who are in this space. Number two is they're going to have to have enough data uh, either within their own hospital or within a network of hospitals or license it from somewhere or get it uh, open source somewhere. So they're going to have to have the data to work with. Are they also going to have to have a firm and strong directive from the top? Someone at the top, maybe it's a you know, CEO of the hospital or whatever, who says, hey, quality is what's ultimately going to drive our financial results and let us serve patients here. Mm-hmm. We're going to do what it takes to move quality. I'm not firing anybody, yes. but we're going to use this tool. Does it take kind of a little bit of you know, gusto from the top yeah. to get it to trickle down? Because I, I, don't, I don't see it coming from the bottom up personally. Yeah. It definitely takes leadership thinking in the right strategic direction, five to 10 years down the line, yeah. what do we need to do to compete and grow in our business? Yeah. And so every one of these organizations that we speak with have very strong executive leadership thinking in these strategic lines. Got it. Yeah, it, does, it wouldn't surprise me. And I think the, the lesson that would be relevant for the business audience who I know is tuned in, who may or may not be in healthcare, but is interested in AI moving into sectors where it's not normal, is what does it take to make you know stodgy companies kind of move and shuffle? I think the last resort is, hey, everybody else is doing it. I'm looking at my P&Ls and my balance sheets and they're bad. Now we got to do it, right? That's that's sort of the full-blown like drag you kicking and screaming adoption model. But there's some people who are who don't want to be kicking and screaming and they, they'd rather sort of get ahead of the curve if they can. Strong leadership from the top, people thinking, like you said, five, 10 years ahead, what's it going to take to be competitive? Any other sort of commonalities among those groups? We've got the data. We've got the, the budget to be able to bring on real expertise here. We've got someone at the top who has a strong vision. Any other commonalities about how they're organized? Um, types of healthcare sectors, you know, maybe oncology versus infectious disease, or, you know, whatever the case may be. Any other things that sort of tie those groups together or maybe they might have in common, culture, personality, focus, that kind of make them cutting edge, encourage that cutting edgeness. Anything else there at all? So it... It doesn't seem to be 
different from type of speciality to okay. other speciality. But, but what I do see is there is difference in culture and the culture of being ready to adapt to new things is definitely something that stands out in these organizations mm. versus versus the, the ones that haven't gotten on the bandwagon. And, and I guess there's, there's some fear, right? There's of course. Space. Maybe I'm not ready. Maybe I don't have data. Maybe, Maybe I'm going to look dumb. You know, yeah. you sit in front of this computer trying to figure out. Yeah. So these are folks who, you know, are willing to and ready to embrace that comes a little bit from the top. Is it, is it, I mean, it's, it can't just be the, the CEO when you talked about culture. Are these maybe people who are already maybe a little bit ahead on this diagnostic tool, this other yes. thing? Are they, they're the ones who are already kind of grabbing a bit of head, not just in AI, but in, in the other se- sections, people who are maybe used to knowing they're going to have to adapt and seeing that as a way of life as a sort of. Yeah, they're the ones who have realized they need an EMR, for example. They have gone and it's not a trivial implementation of an EMR. They've already done that. That's an investment. And now this is the next step of leveraging that. So typically those are the ones. They have a data strategy in place. Um, They have infrastructure that is able to handle this. The last topic that that I planned on touching on, which I think, you know, you're heading up kind of customer success here with the Aussie. So it's your job to make sure that people are using it or... Uh, getting as much out of it as possible. Broadly, even just outside of IASD, the idea is we're going to apply data science, we're going to drive real business results, and we want to see that ROI loud and clear. That's that's kind of your job. Other people, no matter who they're buying from, they're going to want to see those results as well. You're having to take maybe executives and teams who are not used to having data science as a core part of their processes, bring this in. In terms of kind of general advice for folks who are just getting used to bringing data science into a world like healthcare or whatever other space for the people tuned in that is not quite used to that. In terms of sort of settling into a mindset and attuning to some principles that are going to get us up to speed and seeing results here, how do you guide other executives in that transition? Okay. So think about this as not data science and machine learning as such, but this is a platform that allows you to build intelligent applications. Intelligent applications would allow you to discover from your data patterns, then predict on them, justify what you have predicted, and then act and learn. And so what you would need to do is, first of all, don't be afraid to start. So if you haven't started, you're not making progress anyway. So don't wait for perfect data. Don't park it in some corner of the R&D space. Bring it out into the business because it is all about solving a business problem. Everything else is a science experiment and that does not matter to business executives. Data, you may not think it's perfect, but you would be surprised they could be findings in the data that you have, so get started. Uh, be prepared for organizational change because you are going to act and that is going to lead to downstream changes that should give you more revenue or less cost. And then finally, start a center of excellence around this because you're going to learn and you need a centralized approach to leveraging learning and growing that learning and the capability. I like that last point. I'm actually interested in how that sort of works out. Uh, You did talk about you know, don't wait until your data is perfect. Clearly, people are going to need a, a certain critical mass. It's probably some folks you'd be like, hey, look, we're not ready. You guys don't have the data. Uh, you know, sure. it behooves you guys to make your sales. But for some people, again, it's just not the right time. Yeah. At the same time, you know, there's some people who have enough data. They're just nervous that it's not ideal. Of course, if you wait for ideal data, you know, we're all going to you yeah. know, be long gone by then. <laughs> yeah. So it's just not, not going to pan out so well. You know, if this is going to be a real element of our business, you know, it's just like all these old you know, brick and mortar retailers, it's like at some point, you're going to have to have folks that handle the internet. It's not going to be like Billy in the back that builds you one website. There's going to have to be a team here. This is what retail looks like, right? For healthcare, hey guys, 
we're not going to onesie twosie figure everything out. We're going to really try to improve uh, healthcare altogether. We're going to, you know, take advantage of the technologies that can help our patients and drive the business. When a, you know, quote unquote, center of excellence goes up in a hospital mm -hmm. yes. uh, or, or in any business, yeah. does this involve sort of hiring that requisite talent, building the kind of support staff with them, and tying their business goals to the business goals of the, the company at large? What does that kind of implementation of that center of excellence okay. look like? So, in center of excellence, think of it as a factory. And the factory is moving along the conveyor belt, different uses, use cases from conception where the business says, I have a problem, and does a series of things to test that they can actually fix it by machine learning or whatever platform you're working on, and then moving it to an implementation stage, then it gets into deployment, and then it provides you real value. So that's the life cycle, that's the conveyor belt. The center of excellence centers around supporting that conveyor belt. So you have governance at the top that says, these are the problems I actually care about. This is not a fun experiment for that executive that just screamed loudly. Secondly, the LOB, the line of business, has to provide real ROI potential and say, here's why I'm trying to do this. I'm going to save X amount of money or make a lot of revenue. Then there has to be concentrated levels of expertise around change management, around infrastructure management, around data science, and so on. Generally, hospitals have uh, infrastructure. They have data people. They may not have data scientists, but yeah. now we have the platform that allows you to put the power of that into the hands of the end users. They probably should, just to chip in, they probably need at least, as they grow up, they're going to need some, right? You, you couldn't like be totally ignorant and just rely on the tech. They'll probably need some folks with that level of skill. Obviously, many companies like yours, you're going to have expertise of your own that you can bring into these companies. Do you see it as pretty inevitable that these centers of excellence will have maybe not 50 data scientists, yeah, but at least some? some? Okay. But we tend to work really well with analysts. It's about understanding data and patterns of data is what is important. Do you see the future, the future of this technology as being more accessible to analyst level folks, not just Carnegie Mellon PhDs? Do you, do you think that inevitably as this stuff moves its way along, as data science leaves sort of the realm of just the wizards, do you think more of the technology trend, certainly for you guys, is going to be accessibility? This is the core of our strategy. That is everything about it. Uh, so got it. All right. There we go. This is business. I like yeah, it. Okay. So this, we are building an application framework. And it is purpose-built for the end user to consume. So it is all about accessibility. I should not need to be a data scientist. I work in the um, area of the hospital where I'm looking at denials and I'm trying to understand what is this group of people that keep getting denied. And so I don't have data science knowledge. I don't need to have it. I'm going to use the power of the technology that surfaces the group, describes the group. I understand those characteristics. And now I know what to do with it because that's my job. Yeah. That's the whole point. Man, you know, I'm sure the early days of email marketing, it was only wizards. And now it's like any hoo-ha can grab a MailChimp Infusionsoft account and start doing all kinds of fanciness. Data science, totally in wizard land for a long time. It'll be great to see this stuff start to move out. But I guess to wrap up as a final point here, just to put a cap on it, everything you mentioned in what a center of excellence includes, yeah. um, if people aren't thinking through, and if folks want to listen to that, the advice that you just gave a bit ago, um, if people aren't thinking about the implementation of data science at that level of seriousness and tie, tied to ROI, it sounds like it's a lot more likely to fizzle out. It's a lot less likely to be something that you know merges with the mm -hmm. core sort of strategy of the business. So we tend to find early adopters in any organization that love new technology. And so we are a shiny new toy. And we go in and we have fun projects, but they remain 
that. Yeah, and you don't want to stay you there. You don't want yeah, that. You, you want, want to yeah. have every bit of resource that you're spending on our technology our towards yep. a business outcome. Got it, got it, got it. So unless that center of excellence is developed and held accountable, yes. people are likely to flail in this world rather than thrive in this world. Yes, exactly. Cool. All right, that's a lesson for the folks who are tuned in, whether you're you know, in floor covering or healthcare or whatnot. I think that's a pretty cogent lesson from a woman who's seen a lot of businesses sort of make that turnaround and is responsible for seeing those results. Sankita, thanks for being here. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. That wraps up today's episode here on the Tech Emergence Podcast, and thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to stay in touch with our latest interviews with C-level executives and top researchers and thinkers in the domains of AI and the intersection of technology and intelligence, then make sure to subscribe here on iTunes or visit us on our main website at techemergence.com where you can see all of our interviews broken down by category as well as articles, news, market research, and trends in artificial intelligence. If you found this episode particularly thought-provoking, feel free to leave your thoughts in a review here on iTunes or you can feel free to reach out to us at our main website. Thanks as always for tuning in and I'll catch you next week.